Hi, everybody. Uh, Josh here with Michelle, with Masando, and with a special guest today, Reverend Steve Rambo, who is the senior minister of the Simi Valley uh, Center for Spiritual Living uh, near my old stomping grounds there in Southern California. It's so good to see you, Steve, and thank you for your time today. And uh, as we all know, um, we've had so much going on uh, this past week, and of course, you know, centuries before about, you know, questions of iniquity and, and uh, racism and the death of George Floyd and, and the punch of the gut uh, that it, that is for, for so many of us. And, you know, Steve, if you don't mind me saying, you know, just a couple of weeks before, you know, you shared with me an article that you've been working on for the Science Mind magazine, which is some, the magazine that Centers for Spiritual Living um, puts out every month that's uh, hopefully going to be in the October issue. And it was on this topic of iniquity and, and race. And I thought we'd just begin by, you know, asking you to share a little bit about some of the points that you were talking about in your article and just use that to, you know, talk about how we can apply our spiritual teachings to this issue of iniquity, uh, of race, and of creating more of a world that works for everyone. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. And thanks for uh, inviting me to be a part of your community and to join in with the Mahai family. Michelle, it's good to see you. Masando as well. I, I, it's, it's, it's really cool to be with old friends. You know, I've uh, known you all for so many years. So guys, you, you guys look great. You keep getting older and I just, I just love seeing it. it doesn't, except for Michelle, of course. And it's just really cool to watch. Uh, and to, to be a part of this. Yeah, so, you know, it, it was really sweet to be invited by Science My Magazine to, to create an article. I look forward, uh, you know, you're, you're three months ahead. So it was kind of uh, prophetic in a way and, and very strange to have that opportunity to write an article for this particular time. I looked forward and I don't know if I have the... I shouldn't duck out of your screen while I'm here. Now I am going to have to go for glasses. So, you know, we've got this thing, right? That we're all work. Some of us are working with. And so I looked forward at what the various months ahead were. And uh, as I did that, I was like, hmm, September, facing the fear. No, living as compassion conduits. Hmm. Cosmic connections, October. Bingo. Because they, they, they break down that month into just like me inextricably connected, bridge over troubled waters, and bridges that last. And each one of those topics spoke to this that I've been working with. I've been reading so many different things. This one's My Grandmother's Hands by Rizma Minikam. Talks about tra racialized trauma, how it lands in the body. Uh, another book I've been reading is, and I didn't plan this. I just happened to have these right next to me. This is Race in the Cosmos with Barbara Holmes. It talks about the new science of today and how it can be incorporated into this conversation around race. And so I was already, already loaded with that. And I, I have a partner who's from, from Holland who has been doing a lot of work on anti-racism, white privilege. And so we have these conversations at the dinner table. Our friends think we're like, what do you do for fun? Oh, well, we, we, we read books on anti-racism and social justice. And they go, yeah, I mean, really for fun. That's, that was the answer to the question. So this is on our hearts on a regular basis, you know? And as a result of that, the idea of how can we be cosmically connected just landed on my heart because our teaching is all about oneness. And ever since I've been in the science of mind, it has puzzled me how many times we get the opportunity to bring that oneness into reality. Starting with my earliest experiences of learning about this thing called RSI when I was in United. I'm like, what's that? Religious Science International? There's another one? And they practice oneness too? That's kind of not 
oneness. And so we've seen the journey that brought us in together from that experience. And that's been all about what I've been learning around. How do we bring this oneness to every aspect of our lives, especially in this conversation around race in, in, in America and in the world? This is a world issue. It's not, a, it's not an accident that we have boat people in the Mediterranean getting turned around all the time. Uh, they're escaping the same kind of problems that we're experiencing here in our own country. So this is a worldwide phenomenon. And I'm excited that the United States has become a, the catalyst, a flashpoint. Not only have we spread blue jeans and Walkmans around the world, now we're spreading the possibility for complete social and interracial justice around the world. And that's powerful. So as I looked at this, at this conversation, I'm thinking, what kind of bridges can we build? And I find that the science of mind is uniquely positioned to build these kind of bridges because we have this idea that there's only one life, that life is God, that life is my life and your life right now. And Dr. Holmes, there's a wonderful story coming from Founders. I started, I was born at Founders, I, you know, raised at North Hollywood, born at Founders. And, and what I find is that this, this story that, that, there was a time when blacks at Founders were not purposely segregated, but unconsciously segregated into the balcony at the church. And Dr. Holmes stood in front of everyone and he said, this can't be. People get to sit everywhere. There was another time when the Science of Mind magazine was segregating churches and practitioners in the listing of practitioners of churches in the magazine. Again, Dr. Holmes says, sorry, have you ever heard of something called alphabetizing? Alphabetize them, everybody together as one. So this is in our history. This has been, this is part of who we are to practice this area of oneness and to see our own communities fractured by some of these conversations, particularly after the last election, 2016, through a lot of communities, including my own, into turmoil. So we immediately went into uh, teaching the spiritual principles and learning about white privilege, learning about the prison industrial social prison complex, learning about the pathway from prison, from education to prison, learning about the kinds of things that are happening in, in marginalized communities by marginalized people. And I don't like to even call it the dominant culture. I like to think of it as the domineering culture, the dominating culture, and that can be changed. And we can change that by practicing these various concepts of oneness that we talk about. The idea that unity is not, is not lost by multiplicity, but is actually advanced by multiplicity and diversity. Uh, so that, that's, that's kind of the start of what this article came out for me. It's, uh, you know, powerful. I mean, you, know, you use the words of our, our own founder, you know, in your article, talking about it from the Declaration of Principles, where he says, we believe in the individualization of the spirit in us, and that all people are individualizations of the one spirit. And then Steve Rambo says, uh, and is strainer to help filter our cosmic deep words that call us into deep conversation about race in America is also there in the declaration when Holmes says, we believe the ultimate goal of life to be a complete freedom from all discord of every nature, and that this goal is sure to be attained by all. And you point out that this very work is in alignment with that very statement, isn't it? Absolutely is. Absolutely is. And, and to bring all that into context, the article starts with the story of the, of the two fishes or the three fishes, the two buddies are hanging out together and the old fish swims by and he says, hey, how's the water? And then the two look at each other like, huh? And the old guy swims off and they go, what are, what's that? And so that was the start of the, of the article for me, the idea that we don't really even understand. Um, you know, we can grow up uh, people that uh, 
did not have a tint in their skin, uh, that did not have color in their skin, can grow up their entire lives and maybe never have to interchange with a black person in America. It's quite easy for that to happen. And conversely, it's very, it's not as easy, but it can happen in all of our communities because there's still a lot of segregation in our country. So as a result of that, what I see happening is sometimes people think that because they um, believe that they're liberal, uh, don't judge people, uh, come from a perspective of everyone is equal, believe that that's actually reality. But in reality, that's not, that's not true. COVID is a perfect example of that. We say, people will say, COVID affects everybody the same. Mm. Not true. If you don't have access to good health care, if you live in a community where, where, you're in, where your income is based on going to work every single day, the kind of work that cannot be done from at home, you have to leave your house and you have to go to work and you have to be engaged with other people. There's a, there's a family here in Southern California. The father had to go to work. He came home. They're from Central America. There's eight people living in the house. Six of them are, are making a, a living for their family and all eight of them got sick because he came home and got everybody else sick. And so none of them are now working and they're losing their home, but they didn't lose their home because people came up and supported them. Right. But these kind of statements that are surfacely thought about, if we don't go a little deeper and dig into the depths of this cosmic sea and go to the lowest levels of it, we can never come to understand that these differences affect people, these samenesses affect people differently. And that's what I want to bring about a conversation around. Well, and you know, I love the analogy of the, of the fish because it tells us when we're talking about this, this issue that we're not just talking about fish, we're talking about the water. And in our teaching, we talk about, um, we call it a collective consciousness or race consciousness. And, you know, this isn't an issue about pointing fingers at fish and saying there's something wrong with you or something wrong with you. It's, it's about how all of we uh, collectively over the centuries have influenced the water and that the water is serving some people more, more than others. And we all have a part about making the water good so that the fish can all swim as freely as possible. And, you know, just one more quote from your article I'll share. And I know we want to get Michelle and Masando in on this too, but I just thought that there were such powerful words, Steve. You said, you know, the opportunity before us as practicing religious scientists is to see the water in our sea to examine how marginalized people, people of color, and you can include other, other uh, aspects in this as well, are disadvantaged in our society and to, to do something about it. It is an opportunity upon which we can capitalize for the benefit of the whole. We can change our talk, our naming, and in doing so begin to change our lives and our culture. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, God is hiding in the world. Our task is to let the divine emerge from our deeds. Mm. That's a noble task. And the sweet thing about it is every class we take, uh, every sermon we hear, every time someone in our, in our community, in our spiritual family opens up a Science Time magazine and reads a daily guide, they're dropping a little drop of that clearer water into consciousness. And we know, again, from Dr. Holmes, right? Focused thought is more powerful than unfocused thought. And so the idea behind looking into the ocean and seeing what is there is to see how we can focus our thought. And I, and I do want to open the conversation. I just want to close with this one. It's the, it's Thich Nhat Hanh. No, no, no. It's the Tao. It's the Tao. I think it's chapter 15. Can you wait while the mud settles and the water's clear? Can you remain unmoving until right action arises by itself? 
we're looking at some seriously muddy, still struggling, you know, just turbulent water. But if you let that water still and look into it, what arises is, is your reflection. So our opportunity is to look and see that our reflection comes up uh, cleaner and clearer than it was before, not muddied and, and not soiled. And, and, and we can do that. I have faith in, in us to be able to do that. Steve, I, I haven't uh, had a chance to read the article yet, and I look forward to doing that. I have been reading some other things and really working to educate myself. And I love everything that you're saying and, and love everything I'm hearing from the article. And in the part that Josh just read, there's an opportunity for, for those of us who haven't had this experience of, of uh, growing up black in America or growing up, growing up black in the world to, to say, what can I really do to support uh, this group of people who have been marginalized and what, because I think all these spiritual principles resonate for us. And I know that years ago I would have said, and I, I understand now this right now is not the time to say this. I would have said our teaching is colorblind, that we embrace all the examples you've given. We have come out of my mouth also, but this isn't a time to be colorblind. This is a time to really see that there are disparities in our society and to be an active change agent not only just in my spiritual beliefs and my spiritual uh, passions, but what are some things that we can tell people and that we can do ourselves that can really help us to be an ally for this new world that is seeking to emerge? Um, excellent question. So glad you asked that. You, you tapped, stepped into something that I am so passionate about. I stood in front of my congregation a, a month or two ago and said, uh, I don't I know, just it just came over me. I just went like, look, don't any of you tell me that you don't see color. Mm -hmm. If you do, I want you to go to the grocery store tomorrow and just pick up the first grapefruit you see. You go to the store, you look at all of them and you decide, I think I want this one. Difference matters and it's important, right? The next thing that's important is there is a our history in this country, my people's history in this country, has been to take care of the dominating culture. That's what we have done. We took care of the economy. We took care of the children. We took care of the home. We took care of the land. We built this country. A lot of us built this country, but we didn't get paid as much as everybody else did. Sometimes they came paid. Most of the time we got paid nothing. So the really powerful thing that people can do that don't look like me is don't look for me to give you the answer what to do. Get about the business of learning the answer for yourself. There are so many resources available now from people that have walked this path. People like Tim Wise, people like Barbara D'Angelo, people like uh, uh, Rizma that I mentioned just a minute ago. There's, there are many articles, many books out there. Um, Krista Tippett just had a wonderful interview with this guy, Rizma Minikem, just earlier today. So the resources are out there. So I think the thing that people can do, educate themselves and, and, and don't rely on your one black friend to say, hey, tell me what's going on. Tell me what to do. And I'm not, I don't mean that in any, anything but the, from the kindest place in my heart. And then once you come from reading that material, 
your energy, as we know, people that have a good vibe, you can feel it. You're like, oh, I just love being around that person. They got such a good energy. Once you start educating yourself, you will have such an energy about you that the conversation won't even, it, it will take on a new level. You'll be, you'll go from elementary school to graduate school conversations on this topic that we're talking about from a place of personal um, awareness and education. And that's the same thing. That's why we focus on classes, right? It, we, we are a teaching. We're a teaching philosophy. So it's, it's about teaching yourself about the, the information. Yeah. Great. Thank okay. you you know, Masando, I might ask you, you know, I think that, that, you know, right now we've seen a lot of uh, peaceful protests. We see a lot of tension. We see a lot of, uh, you know, people moving into, you know, political divisions and old camps, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, we see rage, we see hurt, we see love, we see all of it. You know, how can folks who want to make a social difference, you know, first this internal one that Steve was just talking about, but then people who want to, you know, get out there and, and, and make a difference, how can they do so in alignment with our principles in a healthy way, in an honest way? Um, you know, I know there may be a long multitude of answers, but I would just love to get your insights on that. Yeah, I think just asking the question uh, of ourselves of what is, where are we being called uh, to show up? right, to show up in solidarity, uh, where is our edge of comfort, and can we step uh, just one step past that edge of comfort, and for something greater than ourselves, that's actually like healing work, that's tapping into this oneness that we speak of, right, when we're recognizing like our own, uh, our own edges, uh, and then, and then seeking to find that edge, and then take us a, a step past that, um, we have to be true to our own way of going about this work and we can't expect that we can be like have every single piece right so but there's always small ways to do that uh, if you don't feel comfortable going to a protest begin that internal investigation deeply with yourself and to know that we've all been swimming in the water uh, we can look at how these show up in our families and how maybe we've been complicit in perpetuating uh, stereotypes that are at the root of this collective consciousness that creates everything that we see. We can be willing to have these conversations in our workplaces and how this might show up in ways and maybe we've been uh, perpetuating that in our workplaces. We can look how it just it shows up in just daily interactions that we have, right? And like, all of those little pieces matter right? Like our personal, our interpersonal, and our collective, like these are all spheres of influence that we can, you know, uh, really just step into and play in and to know that every time we do it, even if it's just one conversation with one person, or if it's a larger protest that we are standing in solidarity with, and then taking actions collectively with another group of people in order to create some specific systemic changes, those are all, those all matter, right? And they're all combating this, uh, this, you know, influence of over years and years and years um, that we've really all been succumbed to. And every time we do something, we interrupt it, right? That's also a part of our teaching, right? We recognize that, like, personally, so much of the things that maybe have created suffering in our lives have come from this pattern of thinking and behavior that we've perpetuated over and over and over again. And when we start to do this spiritual work, we interrupt it. And then we re replace it with a greater idea for ourselves and a greater idea 
for life. But that interruption is key, right? And until we kind of do that investigation work, which is why like often it takes doing a class or going to see a practitioner to even see that those patterns are there because when we're in it, we're just in it. And we're like, I'm just doing life. I didn't even know this was here. But once we have some help to see it, right? Then we can interrupt it and then create something new, right? And that's how our brain works too. These are all these patterns right and and those patterns just get reinforced and those those uh crevices get deeper so that the water begins to flow and we have to sort of like recognize that's there and begin to channel that water towards a new uh a new lane and, and a new way of being so you know like just be true to yourself and um and know that there's so many different ways to to address this big systemic issue that we're all talking about right now well, Masando, that's that's beautiful, Michelle. Excellent. And and what I what I also want to emphasize, and I think you you're speaking around it as well, is there's the big call is for personal grace. Mm. You know, um, we didn't get here overnight, and we're not going to get away from it overnight. And there's no there's no shame. Um, there's no personal injury that you need to put, you know, we're, we're not flogging ourselves over this stuff. And that's the other thing, you know, as you begin to wake up, stand in the joy and the celebration of waking up and not in the pain and the anguish of why didn't I get here sooner? Why did I not know this stuff? You didn't know it because you didn't know it. Okay. So, but you know it now. Thank you. And be grateful for that because it's so easy when, when your heart begins to break around these issues, it's so easy to go like, oh my God, why did I know this? How could I let this be? Mm, not the question. The question is, yay. Yay, you know it, and now you won't let it be anymore. That's that's the joy. Right? Yeah. I, I've been trying to dis- discern the difference between uh, guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a natural reaction to waking up to some of this and maybe ways that we have even participated unknowingly in perpetuating it. Uh, I think the guilt can be something that we experience, we feel, but then can move us to shift and change our actions that actually can motivate us. Mm-hmm. Shame can be like something that like gets into our identity, you know, that I am a bad person. Uh, and we have to be able to discern those, those things, like as, as those feelings of discomfort go up, come up as we're waking up to this stuff, like don't push it away, but also don't internalize it as part of your identity. Recognize and give yourself some grace. I love how you say that, Ram, like grace is such a deep part of this. Like mm-hmm. allow the grace of the divine to come in uh, so that you can feel that discomfort, but then just do something about it without having just to run away from it. Yeah. yeah, and that's also, oh, go ahead, Michelle. I, I was just going to say that's really uh, in alignment what you just said, Masanda, with uh, what I've been studying with Brené Brown. She talks mm-hmm. about shame is exactly that. I'm a bad, horrible person versus guilt is I made a mistake and I need to fix it. I need to do, maybe do something different. I need to behave different. I need to shift my thinking or my behavior. And so we, we, we have to distinguish the difference between the two mm-hmm. of those. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Steve. But my you know, in my experience, you know, I've run into, and I, I don't know if I'm sharing this from a uh, personal experience or from white experience or whatever, whatever it is, but there's, you know, two big shared wounds that come up in, in our society that, that I've learned a lot about, you know, and the first is, is the feminine wound. You know, we, we see it in the news when we see, um, 
you know, the systems that have uh, oppressed women throughout society. And I, I've learned through my own conscious and unconscious actions how I've participated in that. And, and the other one is this, um, the racial wound or the inequity wound that's been in our country from its, its, its founding. And I think what I've learned to do is to realize, no, I'll, I'll never understand the experience from the, the feminine perspective or from you know, the many different uh, ethnicities that have experienced discrimination in, the, in this country. But I, I think I can try to share the wound. You know, I, I can uh, uh, try to do that. And, and I've learned you know, not to try to fix it not to try and rush it, not to pretend that it's one day of work and be over it, but to realize it has to be part of my, my regular conscious practice. And sometimes uh, if something's coming up for me, it may not even be my own. It may be the person's next to me. It, it may just be filtering that water and, and to stay conscious because what I don't want to see, you know, we have these, you know, we'll just call them media moments uh, and they're horrific moments in our society that, that just reveal this gaping wound. But too many of us, you know, when it's out of the headlines, we go back into the unconsciousness. We go back to swimming, uh, realizing I can survive in this water and I don't need to make it any better. And so, you know, my hope is that we can continue to find tools to, um, you know, keep conscious. And, you know, Steve, you mentioned the Tao and, you know, the Tao teaches us to be like water. It says it's the softest, most passive thing in the world, but it can change anything. It can move and transform mountains and you've just got to keep conscious. You just got to keep doing that, that work. Yeah, that's so true. You know, it's some of the easy things to do. Uh, I know Johan and I uh, have just invited uh, six other couples uh, to join together in a book study. And we're going to have a, just a small book study and, and work from that. And then the idea is for each of those couples will then go out and start another book study. So that'll be, you know, six more with 10 other people in it, each one that's 60 and you just keep doing that. And, and that's our, that's our commitment because we're really about the, 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 the business of personal education. Uh, but whatever, as Masanda said, whatever your edge is, push that, you know, we actually wanted to do it with just two couples. And the next thing you know, we had six and we're in, entertaining one more. So there may be eight couples in that group. Uh, and, and that, that's just, that's just our call and, and everyone will get their call. Uh, this has been, I, I just love this conversation. This is, this is beautiful. And, and, and then the last thing that, that was coming to me is that I want to not lose sight of how different what's happening today is versus what was happening when I was a kid. You know, I was thinking about those times I watched on TV. I was too young to participate, but I watched Bull Connor on TV and I saw all those white national guardsmen standing with their dogs against lines of black people. And just this week, driving home from an appointment I had in West LA, I drove past five different demonstrations and each one of them uh, was a, a multi-ethnic, multi-generational experience uh, that, that just, you know, to see 150 millennials all on the corner simultaneously taking a knee every time the stoplight changed was just powerful, you know? And so we've already had a shift. It's, it's, it's a cultural shift taking place. And so we just continue that movement. It's, it's, ta it's just lovely to, to watch and to participate in. And there's sadness in it too, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, th thank you everyone. Uh, uh, Steve, just uh, love you, your, your creativity mm -hmm. uh, and uh, just the enthusiasm you bring to our, our teachings. And so it's great to, to share this virtual time with you and uh, we'll, we'll have to get you uh, to on a, on a physical visit to Mile High Church sometime soon.
That'd be great. It'd be my honor when they lift it. I'm there. I'm ready. And and love you all. Masando, working with you is a pleasure. Josh, all the years. And Michelle, I just love seeing all of you guys. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you. And Steve, what month is your article going to be in Science of My Magazine? It's scheduled for October. Okay. Um, Great. So they, they don't lock that down until July. So right now it's, uh, it's like, yeah, hopefully October. <laughs> great. Thank you. Yeah. It's great to be with you today. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone.